Let's pray, and we'll open up God's word together. Thank you, Lord, for the ways you're working through this body. Thank you for those who've shared and the the words of encouragement and strength and conviction and comfort that you've you've brought through what has just been spoken. Thank you. And Lord, we ask that you would speak now through your written word, your inspired word, your authoritative, true, perfectly true word. And we know these will just stay words on a page unless you come now. Lord, I, you know how much I need your help this morning. Uh, help me. Give me what I need, Lord. And we all need you to come and open our hearts and subdue our pride and strengthen our faith and move upon us as a church body now through your word, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. In uh, the book of Acts, Luke, who wrote Acts, tells us a really interesting story about how Paul uh, had planted four or five, six churches. And then when he finished planting those churches, he went back and visited each of those churches And he taught each of them the exact same message. So here Paul goes back to each church he's planted, specifically so he can give them the exact same message. It's Acts chapter 14, verse 22. Here's here's the lesson that Paul traveled back to each church to make sure they got. Very important lesson for every believer. The lesson is, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. That's what Paul taught when he went back through each of these churches he'd planted, which means it's crucial for believers to get this. Every believer has got to understand this. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. The the road to God's kingdom, the road to heaven, does not avoid tribulations. Some people think that, well, you become a Christian, all the tribulations stop. No, Paul wanted to make sure they didn't think that. The road to heaven takes us through tribulations, not just through tribulations, but through many tribulations, many hardships, many difficulties, many trials, many problems. That's just the reality here. The road to heaven takes us through many tribulations. And when we understand that, then it starts to make sense why, as the Bible teaches, it is so important that we have endurance endurance is talked about repeatedly through the scriptures as something that every believer needs. Endurance is simply continuing to trust Jesus when things get hard. That's endurance. Continuing to trust the Lord Jesus when there are tribulations, when there are trials, when there are difficulties. And because the road to heaven takes us through many tribulations, we need endurance. For example... Let's say you're dealing with cancer and chemotherapy and nausea and doctor bills and pain and discomforts. To keep trusting Jesus, to keep trusting Jesus Christ through that, you need endurance. Vital. Or let's say God's called you to singleness and... uh, To keep walking in sexual purity week after week and month after month and year after year. To keep trusting Jesus in that way is going to take endurance. Straight up. Endurance. You're going to need it. Or let's say you've been uh, reaching out in your neighborhood, sharing the gospel with, with neighbors, telling them about Jesus. 
and no one's responded yet. And some of them are talking about you behind your back and it's, it's hard and there's a little difficulty and kind of a strangeness in the relationship now to keep trusting Jesus, to keep sharing the gospel with them, loving them, serving them. You're going to need endurance through many tribulations. We must enter the kingdom of God. And so we need endurance. And the reason I mention that is because in our next section of the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews tells us where we get endurance. Where do you get it? How do you find it? How do you strengthen it? What do we do to have endurance? So let's turn to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. We're looking at verses 32 to 39, but go ahead and turn there. Now, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We want to bring one to you like we always do. So you can have a Bible open in front of you to study with us. In this passage, and uh, Hebrews 10, 32 is on page 1007 in the Bibles we're passing out. Now, before we look at this passage, I want to set the context uh, of, of the train of thought that the author has been, been walking us through. So chapter, from chapter 5 through the first half of chapter 10, that whole section there, what the author of Hebrews has done is shown us how God has taken care of our massive problem of sin. We've all sinned against God. We've all faced rightly God's judgment forever. And God sent Jesus to be the perfect priest who would represent us before God with his perfect sacrifice of his own shed blood, which paid for all of our sins. That's chapter 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, first half of chapter 10. That's the thrust there. Jesus, perfect high priest with a perfect sacrifice for our sins. And so because of that, then the big conclusion, verses 22 through 25, three things we need to do. One, draw near to God. Fellowship with him. Know him. Okay, just like what happened with Scott's friend Roland. Know him, trust him, fellowship with him. Draw near to God. Secondly, verse 23, hold fast to the confession of your hope. Keep clinging to God's promises. Fight the fight of faith. Don't let go. The river's pulling you to the river Niagara Falls. Remember, keep clinging to God's promises. Verse 23, and then verse 24 and 25, don't neglect gathering together. Keep encouraging each other to draw near to God, to hold on to God's promises. So that's 22 through 25. Then, last week, very sobering passage. Verses 26 through 31, the author explains why it's so crucial that we pursue these commands, drawing near to God, holding fast to his promises, encouraging each other. It's because if we don't, those around us, or even we ourselves, could move into continuing in sin deliberately, which would mean there no longer remains forgiveness for our sins and we'll face God's judgment. Very sobering passage last week. And then this morning, the author wants to talk about endurance because he knows it's not easy to keep drawing near to God, to keep clinging to his promises, to keep encouraging each other. It's not easy. Through many tribulations, we enter the kingdom of God, and so he wants us to know where we can get the endurance that we need to keep drawing near to God, clinging to his promises, and encouraging each other. And that's the point of verses 32 to 39. Let's read those verses. Where do we get endurance? Verse 32. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured, there's that word, a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, 
and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, the endurance, so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. If he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So the the author's point in this passage is to strengthen their endurance. Strengthen their endurance. And he does that, first of all, by asking them to recall something. What did he want them to recall? Look at verse 32 again. What did he want them to remember, to bring back up into mind? Verse 32, he says, but recall the former days. This is when they just become believers from the next phrase. The former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering. So he says, remember your early days as Christians. Think back, years back, remember. And the one thing he especially wants them to remember is that they endured hard struggles with sufferings. Now underline that word endured because that's the theme of this section. Remember, back when you were new believers, you endured struggling, sufferings. You endured hard struggles. You endured, you had endurance back then. What sufferings did they endure? Mentions two kinds. First half of verse 33 is one. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. They were publicly persecuted for being followers of Christ. Some of them had been arrested. Some of them had had crowds gather around them, jeering at them, scoffing at them. They'd been beaten. They'd been imprisoned. And they endured through all this. They kept trusting Christ. They kept sharing the gospel. Fearless, bold, humble, loving. They endured public, being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. Endurance. That's the first kind that they suffered. Second kind of suffering. Halfway through verse 33. And sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Stop right there. Here's what this means. Here's what happened. Um, Some of their brothers and sisters in Christ had been arrested and put in prison, and in those days in prison you didn't get food and water. So unless somebody brought food and water to your brothers and sisters in prison, they would starve. They would die. There's a problem, though. They were arrested for being Christians. People jeering at them, mocking at them. For you to show up with food and water for your brother or sister in prison would identify you as a Christian. Here they were just arrested for being Christians. You're going to show up and identify yourself as a Christian. What did they do? Faced with that dilemma. They endured. They trusted Jesus. They had compassion for those in prison, and they took food to them. They took food to them, identifying themselves as Christians. And the crowd saw that, ran to their homes, broke into their house, plundered their property, graffiti over the walls. Their possessions were plundered. And the believers kept enduring, trusting Jesus, because it says that they 
they joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. This is some endurance, right? Just remember the endurance you had in those early years. Remember the endurance. You were willing to be arrested, publicly mocked, go to prison. You were willing to visit those in prison with food. And then when your property was plundered, the government turned a blind eye, the crowds came. You joyfully accepted that. You had endurance. Remember the endurance you had in those early years. But he doesn't just want them to remember that they had endurance. He wants them to remember why they had endurance. What gave them this endurance? Oh, this is going to be so good. This has been so helpful for me this week. Where did they get this endurance? What stirred this endurance? What enabled them to have such endurance? The answer is at the end of verse 34. Read all of 34 to get the flow. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. This is one of the most important verses in Hebrews for sure. And maybe broader sections. This is really, really, really important. What enabled them to have this endurance? It was not just so strong willed, amazing people. That wasn't it. It wasn't a sense of duty. Well, we're supposed to keep trusting Jesus. That wasn't it. It wasn't, well, we're supposed to. That wasn't it. No, no, no. So many Christians think that's what the Christian life is about. Just strong will, stiff upper lip, sense of duty, what we're supposed to do. No, that's not what enabled them to do this. This is so encouraging. This is something you can do and something I can do. So what gave them their endurance? Read it again. You had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew something. You knew something. There's something that you knew, something that you thought, felt, trusted. You knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Okay, what is that? What's this better possession and an abiding one? It's everything the author of Hebrews has been talking to us about. Okay? It's that Jesus Christ is our perfect priest who died on the cross to pay for our sins. Chapter 9, verse 14. It's that Jesus Christ, by death, broke the power of death so we can be freed from the fear of the death because we will be raised from the dead. Chapter 2, verse 14, which means we can enter God's rest. Chapter 4, verse 11, and joined with all the redeemed in knowing God. Chapter 8, verse 11, and beholding God. Chapter 12, verse 14, Jesus died for our sins broke the power of death, will be resurrected, enter God's rest, join with all the redeemed in knowing God and beholding God. That's the abiding, better possession. It's God himself. God is our better possession and abiding one. The the whole purpose of Christ's work is to let you get God. You get God forever. Knowing him, worshiping him, fellowshipping with him, beholding him, delighting in him, you get God. God is your better possession than anything else in the universe. 
And he is your abiding, lasting possession. He will last longer than anything else in the universe. You get God. God is your better and abiding possession. And that's what gave them endurance. See if you can feel how this would have worked for them. Think about this. How, when they were being publicly mocked, arrested, beaten, it would be very difficult How were they able to keep trusting Jesus, keep loving, keep faithful? How? It's because they knew they had a better possession. God himself, they had an abiding possession, a lasting possession. They could have looked at each other as they're being arrested. We've got God. We will have God forever. Trust him. Keep trusting him. He's worth it all. Endurance comes through that. Or say when their brothers and sisters were in prison without food and water, how did they endure? Keep trusting Jesus. Say, we've got to to help our brothers and sisters. We've got to take them food. Yes, it's going to show that we're believers. It could cost us everything. How are they able to do that? It's because they look at each other and said, be strong. We have God. We could lose everything here. We'll have a better possession. God himself, our better and our abiding, our lasting possession. And then how, when when their trip to prison to take the food and water, how, when that did identify them as Christians, and the crowds got that, and mobs ran to their homes and pillaged their stuff and burned their homes or whatever, how did they keep enduring and trusting Jesus with such a great loss? It's because they knew that a better possession and an abiding one, God himself, And see, this is how it works for us, too. We don't deal with persecution like this. Believers do around the world. But think about it. I mean, how, if you were dealing with cancer and chemotherapy and pain and nausea and doctor's visits and doctor's bills, how, if you were dealing with all of that, how could you endure and keep trusting Jesus? It's because you look ahead and you know you have a better possession, an abiding possession in God himself. God, I have you forever. You are worth it all. Keep trusting Jesus. Keep strong. God's coming. Okay, that's how you would do it. Or God's called you to singleness. How could you endure all the temptations in our culture today to keep walking in sexual purity Week after week, month after month, year after year. How could you have that endurance? Where does that come from? Not a stiff upper lip or just, wow, such willpower. I know. I've got a better possession. I have God himself forever who will be worth it all. And when you know that and you feel that, endurance rises. Or uh, have you reached out to your neighbors, got to know them, loved them, befriended them, shared the gospel with them? And nobody's responded. And they're, some of them are talking about you behind their back and, and the pain of that and the difficulty of that. How, how can you keep trusting Jesus and keep loving them and keep serving them and keep sharing the gospel with them? How could you keep doing that? It's because you look ahead. Outside your neighborhood, you look ahead. You have God as your better possession and your abiding, lasting possession. I'm going to have God forever. That'll be worth it all. Keep loving, keep serving, keep sharing the gospel.
That's how it works. So here's what the author is doing in verses 32 to 34. He says, remember, recall how much endurance you had and remember why you had it. It's because you knew that you had a better possession in God, an abiding possession in God. That's where your endurance back then came from. Okay, so they're remembering. All right, they remember they had endurance, and it's because we knew we had a better possession, an abiding possession in God. Now, why does the author want them to recall that? Why? Why remember? Just remember? Nostalgia? No. Why did he want them to recall this? It's because they were in danger of throwing it all away. That's why. Look what he says in verse 35. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence which has a great reward. What confidence? We keep focusing on the on that, that context right there. He, he just mentioned it in the previous verse. It's the confidence that God is my better possession and my abiding one. Right there, immediately previous verse. That's the confidence he's talking about. That God is a better and more abiding possession than anything else. Don't throw away your confidence. And why would he say, don't throw away your confidence? It's because some of them are in danger of throwing it away. For some of them, their, their confidence that God is their better abiding possession, that confidence has been weakening for some of them. It had been diminishing in some of their hearts. For some of them, the thought of seeing God forever, that didn't thrill them like it used to. For some of them, the thought of Jesus' return didn't stir their passions like it used to. For some of them, instead of desiring God more than anything, they were desiring uh, nicer clothes maybe or nicer homes or earthly comforts or, or friends more than they were desiring God. So for some of them, their confidence had been, had been weakening. And so the author wants to say, remember what you were like in the past. Remember the endurance that you had. Remember why you had that endurance because you loved God. You knew he was your treasure. You were trusting him. Remember what you had? Now see how far you've gone since then. See how far you've drifted from that endurance. See how far you've drifted from loving and longing for God more than anything. See how far you've gone. Don't throw it all away. That's what he's saying. Okay, now we don't just study these passages to learn interesting facts about the believers back there at this time. This is God's word. The Holy Spirit inspired the author of Hebrews to write these words so that we today could read this and ask ourselves, how are we doing? What's happening in our hearts? What about us? So, so ask yourself these questions, just, just for you. Honestly, it's be the most important question you ask for a long time. Are you thrilled at the thought of seeing God someday? Does that thrill you? Does the thought of Jesus coming back like this afternoon say, yes, yes, come Lord, does that thrill you? Or is there more desire for other things, possessions, friends, earthly comforts, house, car, career? Are, are, there, are there more desires for other things than for God? That's the question we've got to ask. If your desires are more for other things than for God, then, then you are right where some of these were 
in the church that the author is writing to, your confidence is weakening and you're in danger of throwing it all away. That's why he's writing these verses to them and that's why the Holy Spirit has you here and has had me ask myself these same questions this last week. So why is it so crucial that this confidence not be thrown away? Why? Four reasons the author gives in verses 35 to 39. Let's just go through them one by one. Why is it so crucial that this confidence not be thrown away? So again, you're asking yourself, is your confidence weakening? How much do you really love God? Not, not what God gives, but God, the person of God. I love, like Psalm 73, whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. You're the strength of my heart. You're my portion forever. Why is it so crucial that this confidence not be thrown away? Four reasons. Here's the first one. It's because this confidence will bring you a great reward. Look at verse 35. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Plain and simple. If you are confident that God is your, your better possession than anything else, and he's going to be your lasting possession, your abiding possession, lasting beyond anything else, if you are confident of that, then you will receive a great reward. The day will come when you are going to be rewarded. Here it is, the reward. And what will be the reward? It won't be something less than the better possession of everything else. It'll be the better possession than anything else. God himself. So if you hold fast to this confidence that God, you are the prize, you are the better possession, the abiding possession. If you hold fast to that confidence, you'll be rewarded with God forever, joining the redeemed, worshiping him, adoring him, loving him, acknowledging him, fellowshipping with him. That'll be yours. That's the first reason. This confidence will bring you a great reward. Second reason. This confidence will give you the endurance you need to do God's will in the meantime and be rewarded. Verse 36. For you have need of endurance. It comes from this confidence. Don't throw it away. You have need of endurance. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Listen. You need endurance. Brother, in Christ, you need endurance. Sister, you need endurance. The road to the kingdom goes through many tribulations. And endurance comes from this confidence. Knowing God is the better possession. He is the abiding possession. He is infinitely more satisfying, valuable, beautiful, glorious than anything else there is. He's the prize. Knowing that God is your better possession. And when you know that and when you feel that, you will endure the tribulations you go through. And that's the way to get your endurance stirred up. So if you throw away this confidence, you won't endure and if you don't endure, you won't do God's will, he says. And if you don't do God's will, we're not talking perfectly, but this is, this is the trend of your life. If you don't do God's will, you won't receive what's promised. Verse 36. So don't throw away this confidence. Don't throw it away. Don't, don't throw it away. Third reason not to throw it away. 
It's because this confidence will not be disappointed. Verse 37. Verses 37 to 38 are a quote from Habakkuk. Okay, and look at verse 37. This confidence will not be disappointed. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. The point is Jesus Christ will surely come back. He will come back. He will come back. If you're trusting in God as your better possession, you're not going to keep trusting, keep trusting, and then die, and it's over. No, 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 no. You're trusting. You're trusting is your better possession. Either Jesus Christ will come back, better possession here, or you'll die and go to be with him, better possession there. It'll happen. I guarantee you, 60 years from today, this is the age of people that are here, 60 years from today, we're all going to be there. He came. It happens. We're here with the better possession. So if you stir up this confidence, you will not be disappointed. He will come and everything will change. No more tears. That's the future. No more death. That's the future. No more crying. No more suffering. No more pain. That's the future in him. And he will come. He will not delay. It's coming. You will not be disappointed. So hold fast to this confidence. Listen. No other confidence can make that claim. Nothing else you can cling to will say that. Only the confidence of knowing that Jesus Christ will come back. It's going to bring me to the Father. I'm going to be with the redeemed, worshiping God forever. No more death, no more crying, no more pain. That is the one certain confidence. Strengthen it. Believe it. Feel it. Know it. You'll never regret it. It's coming. And then fourth, this confidence will keep you from destruction. Again, he's, he's weaving warnings in here. And I hope you've understood from last week and from when we talked about chapter 3 and chapter 6, I hope you've understood how a believer cannot lose salvation. I hope you understand that. Like we said last week, if you're trusting Jesus Christ right now, if you, if you have this confidence, it might be weak, but you have it, then you can be absolutely certain he is going to keep you strong all the way to the end. Your confidence is in him. You can be completely certain you will enter heaven. But these warnings are for those who are going on in willful, deliberate sin, who don't care, who think they're saved because they went forward at some meeting maybe, but they love money. They love cars. They love fame. They love career. They love all these other things. God, I'm I'm, I'm not going to go to hell. That's the most important thing. These warnings are for people whose hearts are in that place. I hope nobody's heart here is like that. Here's the warning. This confidence will keep you from destruction. Verses 38 to 39. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back. That's a picture of throwing your confidence away, shrinking back. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. It's only one way to be saved, by faith alone in Christ alone. Part of that faith means believing that God is the infinitely best treasure there is. That's part of that faith. It's it's all faith, faith alone in Christ alone. 
And so we must not throw away that faith. Because if we did, if we threw it away, turned our backs on it, nothing changed, that would show we'd never been saved in the first place and we would face, face destruction. So here's what the author is doing. He says, remember, remember your past years as believers, the endurance you had, and remember how you had it. You knew God was your abiding, better possession. You loved God. You fellowshiped with God. You worshiped God. He was everything to you. Remember, remember what that was like? He was everything to you. And you joined Martin Luther. Let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also, the, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Let it go. I've got God forever. Persecution? All right. Taking care of my brothers and sisters, risking me? Risk it. Property plundered for the glory of his name? Yes, joyfully receive it. God is my prize. God is my treasure. God's more important to me than anything. He says, remember what you were like. Some of you now are in danger of throwing that all away. Throwing that all away. Don't do it. For these four reasons. That's the flow of this passage. Now, before, before we uh, just bring some application to us, let me just see if there's any questions. This stirred up. Questions are good. If you've got a question, maybe something wasn't clear in what I said, or maybe I overstated something, that's possible. But questions are good because somebody else might have the exact same question that you're asking, and it'll be so helpful to have you raise it. And even if I can't answer it, maybe somebody else here can. So what, any questions this passage stirred up? What's the author saying? Why did he say it? What does this mean for us? Questions? Going, going, going. Okay. Here's what this means for us then. Don't throw away your confidence. That's what it means. Don't throw away your confidence. Be really honest about where your heart is. Honestly, at what excites you the most? What do you desire the most? What thrills you the most? What do you fear losing the most? Look at your heart. And, and is, is it God in Christ? Is he who you desire the most? Now again, all of our hearts have times where we are we're drifting. But, but is, is that the upward trend of your life so that you have times where all you need is God? Just like what happened with your friend at work and the Holy Spirit came upon him and God just met him. Be still and know that I am God and God filled him. And Do you have times where you're seeking the Lord here Sunday morning at worship or at home, kneeling by your bed with your Bible open or in home group praying with brothers and sisters? Do you have times where, God, you're all I need? You are everything. I know it. I'm feeling it. I love you. Thank you. Give times. And is, is that Or is the honest truth that uh, that's, I don't remember when or if that's ever happened. It's a dangerous place to be. Do you, do you know that God is your better and abiding possession? And do, do you feel that God is your better and abiding possession? So you're able to endure Whatever trials come with the confidence that you're going to receive him, you're going to have him. So here's the question. What if your confidence is really weak this morning? You're thinking, man, mine's weak. I've got just amazing news for you. 
This is such good news. This is not a matter of your willpower or not a matter of some duty you're supposed to perform or some obligation you're supposed to fulfill. This is something that God will do in your heart. Back to Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. We draw near to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is something that Jesus Christ will do in you. In you. You, you, just, you come to him as you are. This is the gospel again and again and again. You just come with weak confidence. I'm not even sure there's any confidence of this in there at all, but I'm coming to you, Lord Jesus. This is what I would encourage you to do. Take some time either right now or maybe this afternoon, as soon as you can. And by the way, we talk here at Mercy a lot about how God is our treasure. He's our prize. He's our love. He's our passion. And, and he is. And, and some of you maybe have thought, you know, that, that's really important. And one of these days, I'm going to really take that seriously and, and do some work on that. One of these days. Today's the day. Today's the day. Do not put this off. It is just too risky. You are dealing with powers. You have no idea what's going on. To say, I'm going to deal with that someday, that is a deceitful lie from Satan. Now, now, deal with it now. Now's the time. Don't say later. So what do you do? Here's what I would encourage you to do. This is such good news. There is no reason anyone here should not do this. Okay? Because it's simple as can be. The only thing it's devastating to is, is our pride. Okay? It's all right. You can your pride, okay? So you come before the Lord as you are. And you say, here I am, my heart, I don't, I'm not feeling it. I don't, I'm not sure I believe it. There's very little of that going on right now. Help me. And then you, you say, forgive me for the other things I've been thinking were my better possessions. And you lay all those at his feet, which is just a figure of saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn away from those now. And would you change my heart now? Would you change what I'm thinking now? Would you wash me clean from the sin of loving those things more than you now? Would you come and help me now? And as you, as you come and say, help me, change me, strengthen my confidence. And then you open up God's word. I put some passages in your notes there. Open up some passages and just pray over some, some passages. Pray over them. Linger over them. Say, Lord, make, make this real so I believe it. Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. That's not my heart right now, Lord, but I want it to be. Help me work this into my heart. Revelation 21, 1 through 3, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth passed away and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men and he will dwell among them and they will be his people and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. You just take passages like that and you pray over them and you think about them and you pray over them this morning and say, Father, by the work of your spirit, change my heart, strengthen my faith, meet me. I promise you, he will. He will. Could happen in 30 seconds, could take a little longer. His timing is flawless and perfect. Every second of that is just a choice gift from him. He will meet you. But this is so key. 
Churches are full of people who've never tasted or experienced this. Don't let that happen to you. Do not let that happen to you. Scriptures are full of this. This is what salvation is. This is what God is. This is what life is. It's knowing God, not just doing duties and routines. It's knowing the living God. Do you know him? Do you love him? Is he your better possession than anything else? Do not let today go by without dealing with this. This is from God, church. This is from him for us through the author of Hebrews. And the beautiful thing is, we just come as we are. Beggars hungry to a banquet table laden with food. And he will feed you. He will meet you. He will help you. Let's stand together. I want to pray this over us. Oh, Lord. There's not one of us here who doesn't need to pursue this more. I do. I want to. Lord, we all need to. But especially I want to pray for those, Lord, who have been deceived and in their heart of hearts they they don't love you more than anything they don't long for your return maybe never maybe they've never experienced that or it's been so long they can't remember oh lord please i pray help them humble them strengthen them comfort them let them feel your invitation let them see your free mercy, which will feed them, satisfy them. Thank you that the throne is a throne of grace, a throne of grace. And we can come and receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So, Father, I pray that no one here would throw away their confidence, which has a great reward. Help us all, Lord, to strengthen our confidence by knowing that we have a better possession and abiding possession in you, God, through Jesus Christ. So bring your power upon us, Lord, and do your work, I pray, in Jesus' name.